0: You know, what we're talking about, though, goes a little bit beyond that. We're talking about how you actually manage it because very few people do talk about that. You kind of see, ta-da, we've just released a new design system and it looks really nice and shiny. Mm -hmm. Um, But you don't necessarily understand the sweat that's being invested into that.
1: Hello and welcome to Conversations with Each Another, a podcast about designing for people and business. My name is Tom Cunningham, I'm a senior visual designer here with Each Another, and today I'm joined by one of my colleagues, one of our senior UX designers, Mr. Brian Goff. Hi Tom. How's it going? Good, thanks. Today we're going to be talking about design systems, something that a lot of companies are investing in. For teams out there looking to invest in their own design systems, we're going to be talking a little bit about some of the things that they should be thinking about. So first of all, what is a design system?
0: Essentially, a design system is a collection of different pieces that a team might need to build a product. It could include code, some visual references, potentially some templates or sketch files, uh, indeed fonts, and any other supporting material that will help that team to build uh, a product or get through the production process good example of this that I can provide here is um, General Electric's uh, Predix UI, where they've kind of developed a design system that features really good examples of both code and visual. And you can see them, uh, you know, if you go and visit that website, actually, um, you can see how those are actually operating, how they're behaving in, in a real world environment. In,
1: in general, it's a, it's a framework for creating consistency and cohesion across the whole design.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, a very basic terms. It's almost like a Lego kit that everybody can see at the same time. The most important thing about a pattern library is that people can actually reuse the same components and parts that they're not required to do any extra effort. I mean, it's probably important just to talk about uh, a little bit about the why uh, at this stage, about, you know, why people might need a design system. I mean, the reason that if you you think back, I mean, design systems have been around for a long time, uh, even pre-digital when Uh, You know, graphic design firms would have had guidelines for, uh, you know, branding guidelines, say. And the real reason for those is that you have the notion of a brand that is globalized. So uh, if you're working on uh, the identity for an airline uh, in Europe and it's been originated in America, both teams in that case can know what they're talking about and what they're aiming for. Mm -hmm. So it kind of creates a nice piece of of, uh, latitude and uh, connects teams. Uh, In the context of digital, the challenges are slightly different and indeed more complex. If you have a team, for instance, working on a product, cyclically and in an agile environment as well, you know, the the danger of not having this sort of centralized reference point or kind of um, almost a hymn sheet that everyone is singing from Mm -hmm. is that you run into problems such as duplication, you know, inconsistencies that sort of start to bleed into the product. And actually, more importantly, perhaps you've no real map then or no representation of what's gone into the product that you can refer to back uh, time and time again. Single point of truth. Exactly. You need a single point of truth, um, so that's really where pattern libraries sort of originate from, uh, and, and why they they have a need. This is why we're 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 investing in them. Mm-hmm. And from a product design perspective, if you've got
1: teams that are constantly changing from the inception of the company over a number of years, you're going to build up new features. You're going to you may acquire another company and then you know maybe reskin their interface or or whatever uh, to be in line with your, with your own brand. And what can happen there is, as you're saying, you can build up what we call design debt. So it's a series of decisions that probably made sense at the time in the context that they were made. But when you're trying to make a a cohesive whole, uh, it's kind of takes away from the the single point of truth that we're talking about
0: exactly I mean I think otherwise uh, you end up playing that game which I think is referred to as Botticelli where you fold up a sheet of paper and someone draws a head and it's passed to somebody else and they draw a bit of the body and uh, when you unfold it you realise you have this sort of um, bizarre looking animal uh, slash human you know uh only with only with ua elements uh, yeah exactly yeah which actually would be a very fun game to play um but uh yeah and that's it that's essentially it uh and also just being able to sort of keep track of a product through its life cycle
1: yeah i, I remember a, a client years back had one of the projects that one of the guys took over there's been so many different developers who had worked across these these different suites of products and designers that came along at different times that there was upwards of 20 i think it was about 25 different button styles for the same they're all slightly different but you know there was no as you were talking about there's no single point of truth so if you came in and you're taking up that uh, from a from a development point of view okay I need to build this out which one do I use you know or if a designer comes along which one will I use okay well I'll go with the one that I think is best and that could be you know even creating a new one and saying now this guys this is going to be the definitive one and then you could leave the the company for somewhere else. And then someone else comes up picks up 26 buttons that they have to work with.
0: Yeah, I've always had that in my head as a thought experiment. Uh, I guess I'm more inclined to think about it from the design perspective. Uh, It's important to consider it from all angles. I mean, the dev uh, have have an investment in this, uh, as well as designers, obviously. And then QA, you know, when the product actually kind of finally finds itself down the uh, production line, if you like. Uh, And they're looking at it and they're sort of referencing that uh, single point of truth. And they're saying, does this actually reflect what's in the design system and so on? You know, Mm. so that that itself uh, probably raises its own issues. But yeah.
1: So as you're saying, having the same hymn sheet to the quality assurance guys, QA guys, coming looking at something that's exactly the same as what the designer has and what the the developer has, it makes sense. So it leaves the room. It's like it takes away the ambiguity takes away the the margin of error and also the kind of the the com- the communication overhead you know even getting together like okay guys we have all these different designs which one's the real one or you know I, I know which one are we going with now are we getting rid of those that other one you know and it's um so obviously from a business point of view there's an investment up front
0: but the rewards there yeah absolutely the payback is huge um i mean ultimately what design systems mean is better products faster uh, and that's what we that's the set of mantra that we we discuss in each another mm. uh, better because it means that you can be sure that what you put out there into the wild is consistent um, that, you know, it's uh, and it's consistent with what what you've tested, perhaps to the users, um, you know, faster because pattern libraries mean that your teams aren't spending more effort uh, either duplicating or reimagining. Uh, or solving the same problem man- manifold mm-hmm. that they can just reference something else. Uh, you know, and and yeah, I mean, they just make total logical sense. Mm-hmm.
1: And so for, for any of our listeners who aren't kind of more familiar with kind of user, user interface design, um, you know, design systems and that kind of thing, generally the interface or your whole design system is made up of lots of many different components, you know, from typography to the form fields that you use to the iconography and the color palette that you use. Um, and it, so it's a series of considerations, and you're creating this whole system that can work and is versatile. So when you're whether you're designing for a desktop or a mobile app or what anything like that, that there's a consistent thinking that allows the system to work together. So it's you know so talking about buttons, if you have a, a solid design system that there's a consistency with buttons always look like this, form fields always look like this, typography always looks like this. Mm-hmm. You're removing that ambiguity, as I said, like mm-hmm. you know so someone else takes it up. There's a there's a logical system that They can work with, and this it, it removes that area that need for questioning and communication overhead. So it basically means that you can get things done in a more efficient way, as you're saying, uh, better products faster, better products
0: faster. And you mentioned communication, but for me, my own personal take on it is actually communication is a very big thing uh, that a uh, big part of what pattern lobbies fulfill because if you have teams that are dispersed and they're working on you know, maybe different parts of the product at different separate times, like separate locations, uh, separate locations, potentially as well, uh, then you have something that helps bridge um, that gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is definitely a, a communication overhead, uh, regardless of whether you have a pattern library or not. Sometimes, you know, whether mm-hmm. you have a visual reference or not, people are going to misconstrue what's been said. Mm-hmm. So it narrows that risk, you know? Yeah, uh, it does. But, you know, I think the thing is that generally For anyone, I suppose, is listening in on this and they're wondering, okay, well, what are they really talking about? We're talking a lot about the particulars, perhaps, of of what goes into a pattern library, whether you have drop-down menus, fields, buttons, all that stuff. uh, And then, you know, alongside that corresponding code in Mm -hmm. HTML and CSS and and so on. Um, There is something else that's much more crucial that underpins a pattern library. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of resistant to say that it's culture because I think that that word gets overused. Uh, but I do think it's somewhere uh, in and around that. And it's ultimately just the people who are using it and how they're going to use it and why they need that as part of their job. What are the needs? So what you're
1: saying is that you need to treat the design system as a product in itself.
0: There's no doubt about it. A design system is a big investment. It is one that has a big payoff, but it involves the same kind of management and thought uh, as any of your products.
1: In a way, there's risk mitigation in there. So if you have a product team where there's a high level of churn, The fact that you've got a consistent point of truth, as we're saying, that if someone else comes in, they can take up the reins, you know, and we're... Yeah, yeah, exactly. And particularly. Same, singing from the same sheet, as you say. Yeah.
0: And, you know, we we each and I have had experience of working with companies where they are obviously have a high recruitment rate because the product is scaling um, and things are going very well. Uh, and that's another point where you really need a design system badly because you you are going to get uh, designers coming in. obviously developers and QAs and everyone else who's part of that, um, yeah. that, that building process.
1: So building these design systems, this is like something that we do. We help our clients with it all the time. The ideal situation when you're dealing with a client is that you're starting in a green field. So yeah, you, you can build all the right components, have the design system ready to go from scratch, and you're like, okay, guys, here's a single point of truth. Let's go and take over the world. Realistically, that's not usually the case. You're, you'll probably start off as a small startup. Uh, you'll you'll have a certain amount of design that you will build up to get the features that you need to get investment for. And then something else, you know, you get the investment and it needs to be overhauled. Larger companies where they're actually realizing, OK, we're a multinational company. We're producing like, you know, dozens of different products um, and there's a inconsistent user experience across these. And that's kind of the key to it, isn't it? It's like if you, the consistency in the interface and then the consistency in the tools and the approach that the different designers and developers are using have an ultimate impact on the, on the user. You can go from Airbnb, you don't feel, it doesn't feel jarring going from the desktop to the mobile app to other things or Spotify yeah. and the likes of that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, Airbnb are a great example of a company that have invested heavily in, in their design system. And it's, it, it obviously pays off. Um, I guess the thing is, what's interesting about it is that there is two faces to it. I mean, there's the users of the products that you're creating, but there's also the teams that are using the design system. Mm. And that's why it's probably important to think about it as a product. Uh, what are the things you need to think about? Well, the first thing you're going to think about is, does it meet the needs of your team? Uh, you know, does it have everything? Does it contain everything that will help uh, everything from a new hire to a more ex- experienced lead to to use this mm-hmm. uh, system? Uh, the second thing is it needs to be easy to use. Uh, it needs to be something that people don't feel that uh, requires an awful lot of thought. Mm-hmm. They can just reference it. Um, because if it doesn't become a point of reference, then you don't have a single point of reference. Yeah. You have a dud design system that will just uh, gather dust on the shelf.
1: Correct. Yeah. So taking that product approach mm. ensures that it stays relevant and that it's it's it is that single point of proof.
0: Yeah, and it, this kicks the conversation on another step because if you have a you know, hey, I'm not a I'm not a product manager. I need to state that obviously it's just in case. But if we consider what a product is, it does have a bunch of people working on it, but it also has someone managing that product right mm. and they're the ones who are making the decisions about what comes off the roadmap and then what the future is and so on design system is no different in real essence you do need someone or you need a team that is going to take responsibility for managing the pattern library or the design system you know say a company comes to us tomorrow and they say you know we're really interested in actually investing in a design system this is coming at a perfect time mm-hmm. it's a dream client for us and it's a blank piece of paper it's greenfield um, the first thing that we really need to do in that situation is to start engaging with our internal teams and finding out, you know, uh, what is what is it? How do they work together? What are the kinds of problems that they're coming up against as teams working on the product? Um, What do they need a design system for? Uh, And from that point, then you can start to kind of really paint a better picture about what what is needed. Right. It's just basic kind of requirements gathering exercise. But beyond that, as a second step, it's to really establish or figure out who in the teams, plural, is most likely or more, most invested in a design system because that those people are the people who are going to uh, form the governance team. The governance team are the ones who are going to take charge of the design system. Uh, they are the people who need to kind of have a bird's eye view of what's happening across all products or product and uh, to keep a close eye on what changes are happening within the product and make sure that that's reflected in the pattern or design system. several ways that that can happen Uh, one is perhaps a light approach where uh, you know they just check in is everyone okay all good okay fine the second one might be to have a more formal formalized process where you establish right every week we're going to meet And we're going to talk about the design system. Find out from different teams, are they having any any blockers? That means you have somebody who's sort of safeguarding. Now, the point is, you don't want, obviously, a culture where someone's policing Mm -hmm. the design system. It's about, obviously, having that inclusivity and flexibility. They're there to really facilitate everybody Mm -hmm. in terms of making sure the design system is good for them. And it's good for product. Mm -hmm. It's doing its job. But, you know, it raises another issue, which is version control so what are the main challenges when it comes to version controlling you could get down to the sort of granular and sort of say right we're going to say this is a uh, version one the minute we make any kind of a change as in like it's similar to a bug fix you go version 1.0.1 1. anything more significant 1.1 1. 1. point you know one whatever mm-hmm. you know you-, you could tire yourself out with that kind of thinking but at least you have to have some kind of system that allows you to kind of track, mm-hmm. uh what's been done now Using um, repositories like GitHub or Bitbucket are great, obviously, for being able to uh, track changes for for code base. It needs to be thought about how you're going to do that and make sure that if you're using, say, sketch templates, that that's all in sync also. And that's where the governance team. So the, the point is that you can automate some of this stuff, but you can't automate it all entirely. There still needs to be uh, a certain amount of human intervention where people are just being smart about how they're managing their files and managing uh, code base, et cetera. And that's all being communicated. Mm-hmm. And that you know that that requires uh, a lot of buy-in. It requires uh, you know, people to be kind of really invested in it.
1: So how do you ensure the people who are going to be using the, the design system are invested in it and have a sense of ownership? Probably makes sense. So they are part of the journey as along the building of it, yeah?
0: Like anything, there are spectators and there are people who are playing on the field, you're never going to have everyone involved in the game. But you do need to kind of make sure that they feel, yeah, that they put some value on it, they don't necessarily have to be involved full time, but at least they have to, you know, if they have value on it. Mm-hmm. But this sort of brings around the, the whole topic of ownership. You know, recently I wrote, I wrote this blog uh, about um, design systems, which is talking about the missing ingredients. Uh, and I'm always uh, kind of reminded of that story about cake mix. The central idea, I suppose, is that when they launched Cake Mix, that it wasn't really massively successful, this instant cake mix. And the reason was because traditionally, I guess, you know, housewives were used to making their own cakes. And the idea that you could just make cake out of a box was uh, not necessarily mildly uh, offensive, but um, it competed with their own sort of sense, perhaps, of, of uh, proud bakers and, and yeah. so on. So it felt like cheating. Yeah, so like, yeah, probably. The, uh, you know, the story goes that, uh, you know, after a while they realised that uh, there was a solution. The solution was to take out a very important ingredient and that was the powdered egg. And from now on, anyone who was making an instant cake would use their own fresh eggs. And the, the impact this had was to kind of ensure that the uh, housewives felt that they were more involved in making the cake. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, instant cake mix became Successful. And this relates to another idea of the IKEA effect, which I'm also interested in, which is that we love or have more uh, ownership or feel more ownership over products we've built for ourselves. And obviously, there's a reason why I'm saying IKEA effect here. Um so, you know, that kind of uh, really ropey bit of furniture you made for yourself or, you know, the painting you might have made for yourself are things we actually value more than than stuff we've bought off the shelf. And so there's a sort of similar parallel happening here for anyone who is thinking about putting together their own design system. Make sure you're including your teams. Make sure that they feel they're part of the building
1: process. So anyone who's starting to think about creating their own design system, we've obviously covered a number of things there. So. It makes sense to do so for a number of reasons. Promotes consistency. Make sure that everything is uh, is cohesive. Sure. Um, and it also it's a single point of truth, which makes sense as you're saying earlier on. The more you scale, the more sense it makes to have this single point of truth to be able to come back to. It. This is how we do this thing. This is you know it's it's creating a standard as opposed to a wild west approach where you can kind of you've got wild inconsistencies or even it's you it might even be wild inconsistencies, but they're just minor inconsistencies that will build up that design and technical debt. And then you can realize, you can look back over your product and think, wow, we've actually, we've got loads more things to manage here than we actually need to be doing. Yeah. So it makes sense. While well, it is an initial
0: investment up front. The, the outlay can be intimidating, particularly the way we're talking about now. Anyone who's listening to this might be going, oh my God, you know, I, I thought it was just about putting together some components and gathering code base and so on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is fundamentally. You know, what we're talking about though goes a little bit beyond that. We're talking about how you actually manage it because very few people do talk about that. You kind of see ta-da, we've just released a new design system and it looks really nice and shiny. Mm-hmm. Um but you don't necessarily understand the sweat that goes uh, that's being invested into that. Uh something like uh, Google uh, Material which is, you know, a perfect example of this which is a brilliant uh, comprehensive design system, but mm-hmm very little is known about how this is actually being used by teams in google in real time Mm -hmm. there's no code base that's linked to it so it's difficult to see how that might work uh but you know external point of view yeah yeah, but it's brilliant it's brilliant piece of documentation and and you know it's very useful actually Mm -hmm. as a starting point for anyone who's thinking along these lines but you know yeah the the outlay is is intense but the payback makes sense i mean if you have a product that You've gotten this far and you've managed to hack your way through this jungle, as it were, and you've got here. Great. You know, I think, you know, I take my hat off. That's a fantastic achievement, but you can't continue to hack your way to scale. It's at this point in time you need to start thinking, right, it will be a good idea to start putting together a a design system, Mm. gathering all our component parts, all our different code base, figuring out exactly what our teams need and going from there Great, well thanks very much for your time today Brian Cheers Tom I really enjoyed talking about that For more information
1: check out eachanother.com and if you haven't done so already please subscribe to Conversations with Each Another on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts Till next time